God sent to them. And we read the same kind of treatment in the parables Jesus tells. And let us not forget John the Baptist and his connection to this account. In Matthew 14, we are told that Herod, king of the Jews, had John arrested and imprisoned. In the course of time, John was beheaded by Herod to appease Herodias, Herod's illicit wife, who had held a grudge against John because he used to preach to Herod, hey, it's not lawful for you to be married to his brother's former wife. Ooh. Now the scripture says Herod knew that John was, this is what the scripture says, Herod knew that John was a righteous and holy man, Mark 6 verse 20, a prophet, Matthew 14 verse 5, yet still he put him to death. Such was the treatment which God's servants received at the hands of the tenant farmer, Israel. In fact, so much was this the case with regard to all of the prophets of God that Jesus accused the Pharisees with this stinging indictment. You build tombs for the prophets. You decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. And so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those murderers of the prophets. Fill up then, fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. Matthew 23, verse 29 and following. And in verse 37, the people as well are indicted by the Lord when Jesus cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you. Look at our text, verse 35. Same thing. In Stephen's defense, before the Sanhedrin in Acts 7, he addressed these religious leaders as, let me read it for you, stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? What an indictment. See if you can tell me of one of your ancestors that didn't persecute one of the prophets of God. Tell me if you know of any. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They couldn't do it. They even killed those who predicted 
the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, says John, verse 51. Here's people that can't, <laughs> they can't handle the truth about their own sin. There will be no repentance from this group. There will be no sorrow for their sin. There will be no turning away from their worldly, lustful lifestyle and turning to God. So preached Stephen in Acts, the book of Acts. And it cost Stephen his life. They stoned him to death. Stephen's words here support the third lesson of the parable. After all of the prophets had come, God sent his very own beloved son saying, oh, they will respect my son. Maybe not the servants, but certainly my son. But Stephen goes on to say, they killed those who predicted the coming of of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, Christ. After God had spoken to the tenant farmers in terms of his preachers, he sent his own son. Hebrews 1 verse 1 and following says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus Christ was God's son. He was the spitting image. I say that respectfully. The spitting image of God the Father. He was, he is, heir to all that God the Father possesses. It was true what Jesus said to Philip. Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Acts 14, verse 9. When the son came to Israel, what was their response? He came to that which was his own, there he is, the vineyard, because he's the heir, but his own did not receive him. John 1, verse 11. Worse. Not only was he ill-received, he was murdered by the wicked tenant farmers. Verse 38, verse 39 of our text. When the, rem, when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Why would they kill the son? I mean, what wrong had he done to provoke 
such a response. Jesus tells us John 15, verse 24 and 25. They have hated both me and my father, and they hated me without reason. What? Yeah, without reason. No reason for their hatred. John 15, 24 and 25. It is the son's connection to the father that jeopardized his life. He was the heir of the vineyard. And these people didn't want God to rule over them. And they didn't want his son to rule over them either. The murder was a declaration of independence from God on Israel's part. The very God who had chosen them and favored them as his people. Jesus' words in our text are from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Not the capstone, but the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Well, that was not the response of the wicked tenant farmers towards God's grace. No, just the opposite. When asked by Jesus what the crowd thought would happen to these wicked tenants, they answered, He, the landowner, will bring those wretches to a wretched end. He will rent the vineyard to other tenants, and he will give his share he will that will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Little did they know that they had pronounced judgment on themselves. For in verse 43, Jesus supplies the parable to them specifically. I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Oh, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Israel in the day of the prophets and now Israel in the days of the Son of God had rejected God's grace and thus forfeited their claim to the kingdom of God. And for this reason, God gave the kingdom privileges to another people. Guess who? To the Gentile nations. And Israel was turned out of the vineyard. Paul puts it this way. Because of Israel's transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss, riches for the Gentiles. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, you Gentiles, provided that you continue in his kingdom. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Romans chapter 11. That's how the gospel came to us who are non-Jews. 
The Jews rejected God, hated his son, whereas the Gentiles embraced him. Now what may we learn from this parable? Well, number one, it's a wicked thing to sin against the grace and the goodness of God. Israel did this as the first tenant farmers of God's kingdom. And the Gentile church is in danger of doing the same thing. We have in the United States a policy called favored nation status. Favored nation status. By which we, as a country, grant certain economic, political, financial, and educational advantages to those countries of the world which work with the United States in promoting our agenda in human rights, the development of underprivileged people, etc. Communist China has been a country in which favored nation status has been denied until just recently because of its violations of basic human rights and freedom. Israel enjoyed favored nation status from God, but instead of responding aright to God's grace, they spit in his face and they denounced his grace. They told him to take a hike. And when God sent preachers to warn Israel that they were playing with fire, they killed those servants. When he sent his son, they killed him too. So their privileges were given to us who are non-Jews with the proviso that we produce fruit, verse 43, that we operate within God's kingdom, doing his work, obeying his leadership, preaching the gospel, ministering to his subjects, extending his kingdom over the lost. But the church has become complacent, apathetic even. We think because of the grace of God is irrevocable that we can sit on our hands and do nothing. We are not being careful to maintain our own relationship with God and we are sloppy and overly casual about contributing to the corporate growth of the kingdom. We're full of excuses as to why we are not consistently in the assembly of the saints to worship God and to study his word. We can take God or leave him and mostly leave him. We go on with our lives as though favored nation status will be ours forever. But the cracks are already in the walls. Church, for the most part, is a mockery of Jesus Christ in the world's eyes. We are full of unrepentant sin, full of pride, full of self-sufficiency. Full of hypocrisy in the things we say. The world can spot a phony when we come across too much like phonies. You ask, are you saying that it, uh, that we can lose our salvation? No, never. But like Israel, 
we can lose our favored nation status. God can take away our gospel privileges, give them to another. And you know, when God abandoned Israel as a nation, what happened? They became the slaves of Assyria, then Syria, then Babylon, then Persia, and in Jesus' day, Rome. Such servitude made their lives hard and their days on earth bitter. If you don't believe it, read the book of Daniel or Jeremiah or Isaiah and you will find out. Say, we got to do that to his own people. Yeah, well, they disowned him. They no longer enjoyed religious freedom. God's word dried up in the land. They killed the prophets. God didn't send them replacements. The book of the law, their Bible, were lost for generations. Their prayers went unanswered. They were confronted by idolatry, witchcraft, paganism on every side. Their captors were cruel and oppressive. The song of joy and gladness fled from their lives. Their children intermarried with the pagans and adopted their superstitions. Righteousness and justice for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed disappeared. Judges sold their verdicts to the highest bidder in secret. Crimes against the people of faith were common. Their houses and lands were confiscated by the government and their inheritance lost forever. They became downcast in spirit and it showed on their countenance. May I say America, Christian America, is ripe for the same judgment of God. Every day, TV talk shows have become a cesspool of the most vile subjects that human beings can dredge up from their sinful lifestyles, and then they broadcast it unashamedly to every home in the country. Justice has all but disappeared from our court systems. The country's on the verge of anarchy. Government is so corrupt as to be almost beyond recovery. And the people are sensing that. The American home is a mockery to marriage and to their survival of fidelity and compassion. People are brutal, they're crass, they're hateful, they're bitter, they're angry, they're neurotic, they're psychotic. We live in a land filled with danger. In the news this week, <laughs> a man took his truck and he ran over a Trump supporter. Then he threw his truck in reverse and ran over him again. And he did this a number of times. Yeah, that's a good reason to kill somebody because they're exercising their political right to vote for whomever they please. And this man happened to be a Trump supporter. This guy didn't like that. So he decided he'd just run him to death, which he did. 
This is America. Don't be looking at the third world countries and say, yeah, but over there. No, the, the, these things are going on right here. And God is pulling away. God is crushing us with the builder's stone which has been rejected. And we Christians are right in the middle of it. And it's not sufficient to say, well, I and my family are safe in Jesus. You are not safe. You are in jeopardy of going down with the ship like Israel of old, which would not and eventually could not stem the tide of the world's encroachment because it capitulated by becoming part of the world. It just seeped in and took them over. Jesus is looking for tenant farmers with good stewardship skills. People to give God his due. A nation is forgotten by God because the people are called on by his name. Within that nation, they've forgotten him. You and I and thousands like us are bringing these things upon ourselves by our infidelity to God and our inconsistency in our faith. Look at verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Okay, verse 46, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he, John, was prophet. Wow. What's going on here? They went right on with their plotting of Jesus' death exactly as revealed in the parable. They were living proof of Jesus' indictment and there was no repentance even though they had been discovered and exposed by Jesus' insight. That's the hardness of men's heart. They were more willing to bring God's judgment down on the nation than they were to turn from their sin. We may do the very same thing. I don't know. We may love our sin so much that we prefer it over repentance and the Lord's forgiveness. But if we do not repent, we will bring upon ourselves and our country and our children's future the loss of favored nation status and all the heartache that that entails. I don't think that China would be all that affected by losing the favor of the United States. But when America falls out of grace with God, the consequences will be dire and you and I and our families will go through it. May the rock of our salvation never be rejected by us. May he never pulsarize us for our sin. You fall on the rock, yeah, you'll be broken, you'll be bruised. That's good, that's repentance. That's humility. 
And that's the things that we need to do. What should we do? Well, we should stop making excuses for our non-involvement in the corporate life of the church. Get to bed at night on Saturday so you can be at church on Sunday. Get to the services on Wednesday when we meet to pray. Get into the scriptures and out of the soaps, the talk shows, and the other sources of pagan information on life and marriage and parenting and forget psychology, the handling of interpersonal problems, which the world knows nothing about. Give God his due financially, his share of the grapes. Anything less is robbing God, like the wicked tenants did. God noted it. When God's word comes to you with conviction, act upon it. Don't brush it off and allow your conscience to go to sleep. God says in his word that he will not always strive with men. It's a good thing if God wakes you up in your conscience. But it's not always going to happen. There may come to the day where you've rejected God so many times. He just goes, okay. And he leaves us to ourselves. To be deserted by God. is not a good place to be. Bathe your life with active prayer that deals with your sins. Stop saying prayers. You know, when I was a kid, yeah. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. That's good for a four-year-old. That's pitiful for a person that's been four years in the faith and they still pray like that. No repentance. No searching for God. No longing for Him. Stop saying prayers. Pray for the heart, for confession, for repentance for wisdom. And I throw out as a final thought, you can seek the help of godly saints. That's what fellowship is about. You're not the only one that's been through trial and pain and suffering and disappointments and failures and you name it. There's a whole church right here full of those things. And it may be, it just may be, that someone in the assembly who's a friend of yours could be trusted with a confidence of yours and said, well, when that happened to me, this is what I did, and the Lord blessed it. And they can share the scriptures and their victory in Christ 
that will help your soul. That's a church functioning like it should. We don't walk in around in here with halos on our head. We walk around here with sin in our heart that only God's grace and forgiveness can cleanse. And we're all there. We're all in the same boat. And we need to repent. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and for the tenaciousness of it. We thank you, Lord, that not only do you chide us, not only do you warn us, not only do you expose us in our sin, as you did with the preaching of John the Baptist on these Pharisees, they didn't like what they heard. Jesus comes after John. They didn't like what he had to say. They did kill John and eventually they killed Jesus. Well, that's one way to shut somebody up. Just kill them. Be done with them. But, oh, Lord, when they did that, they joined the ranks of murderers and God-haters, and God took note. Lord, I pray that you will grant us repentance this day, forgiveness towards one another, and a righteousness that is found in Jesus alone, our great substitute, our great advocate before the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory, for our good. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity, the Red Hymnal, 493. Four hundred ninety-three. When you find it, will you stand with me? Four ninety-three in the red.
wonderful hymn to remind us of how we're to approach you confessing our sins and realizing that we are what we are in your good graces only by your grace only by your grace we might be like the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus day your, your day very religious but very lost. I pray that's not the case. I pray that today, if not before, that you will get our hearts right with you. We ask, Lord, that you will grant the repentance, the faith, neither of which we have in ourselves, but solely as gifts from you, that we might get right with God and our families might evidence it. To the praise and glory of Jesus, we ask these things in his name. Amen. We are dismissed.